0: Welcome to the Fully Restored Podcast. Christians often struggle to talk about areas of deep hurt like trauma or abuse, shame or betrayal. These are deep soul wounds. Friend, Christ came to not only heal us from our sin, but from our soul wounds as well. My name is Kristen Klaus, and I'm a licensed professional counselor and author. And my guest and I are here to walk with you on your healing journey. We see you and hear you. Friend, if you hang with me, apply these truths to your life, you will be on your own path to a fully restored story. Grab your coffee, tea or favorite drink and let's get started. Hi friends, I am so grateful you're here with us today for the Fully Restored podcast. Before we jump into my interview with today's guest, I wanted to let you know that today's topic of discussion is a difficult one and a topic that is best listened to away from children's ears. These interviews in this series are powerful, transparent, and real, but also give so much hope for someone who's been abused. Please be mindful of your own triggers and know we are discussing these things to bring them to the light of Jesus and to help women find their own healing and hope. Thanks, friends. And now to my interview. Hi friend, Kristen Klaus here. I have a powerful new course that is launching October 25th. This course is for women who are looking for healing from all types of abuse. Fully Restored from Abuse is a 12-week online course filled with so much information and goodness where we will dig into the root of the hurt and pain from abuse in a Christ-centered way. As a licensed professional clinical counselor, trauma coach, and one who has been healed herself from abuse, your life will be transformed from this course. If you are saying to yourself, I'm ready to be healed. I know there are soul wounds in my life from past abuse. I know I wasn't just hurt physically, but emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. If you are saying, yes, it's time, Kristen. I want to be healed. I want my life to be fully restored. Then go ahead, friend, and click the link found in the show notes for this episode. Now back to our show. Hi, everyone. This is Kristen Klaus, and you're listening to the Fully Restored Podcast. Today, I'm joined by my guest, Sarah Kennerly. And Sarah has a story that many of us can relate to. Although, if we're going to be honest in the church, we often struggle on how to discuss this topic of mental health needs. Sarah's story is going to inspire you, encourage you, and give you hope for yourself or your loved ones who have had mental health needs in the past or currently. So welcome to the Fully Restored podcast, Sarah. Thank you, Kristen. It is I'm glad a to be here. Sh- it's a joy to have you here. Before we jump into all seriousness, I always like to ask some fun facts. You had mentioned that you love being a mom. Yes, I do. Okay. And they just light up your world? Oh, my kids. They're just a gift that I never
1: thought would be possible. And the joy that radiates from them and fills me is just something that I can't even describe.
0: I can say that as a grandma now, (laughs) that I love being a grandma. And you love creating in the kitchen and you never really follow recipes, but you love creating. I love creating healthy snacks or not healthy snacks, yummy snacks too.
1: (laughs) And there's lots of fails, but It's just, it's lots of fun. I love doing that. I just hate doing the dishes. So my husband gets mad when I have like a kitchen full of dishes again, and I'm like, you're on it.
0: (laughs) Do you ever share your recipes? Or I guess you don't really follow recipes, but as you're creating, do you ever share those? Uh, Not very often. I should maybe. I thought about it, but then I was like, well,
1: I probably have to get more exact and figure out what I'm doing rather than just pouring. And and that takes the fun out of it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I see yeah. that. So Sarah, tell us a little bit about yourself. You, we just are briefly talking a little bit about your life, but tell us a little bit about yourself, the work you do in your family. Well, I'm now a stay at home mom. I, I was working as a pharmacy
1: assistant. And then after my daughter was born, I went back to work early from that leave. And I was like, Ugh, this isn't for me anymore. I just want to be home with my kids. So I stayed home and that gave me opportunity to write my book that God had put on my heart for a long time now. And it's just been wonderful. I blog regularly and in the word, I'm loving on my kids and doing crafts and all kinds of fun stuff. It's a good life.
0: (laughs) Well, that's wonderful. So Sarah, could you take us back to your childhood? What were those years like for you? So I grew up in a Christian home.
1: I remember asking Jesus into my heart when I was five years old in a Sunday school classroom and i was enthralled with this idea of the songs that we sang about were songs that were exciting and fun and joy filled and i wanted that and as i grew i wanted to live my life for this jesus that i was coming to know as a child so i had like a christian sunday school kind of life but then i also had lots of bullying experiences in elementary school as well and that was that was hard it was good because jesus was showing me that popularity wasn't something to go after. And he was also showing me how to love the outcasts in elementary school. I had a young girl that was literally spit on by people. And her and I just walked the schoolyard together and strengthened each other. And I got spit on therefore as well because of this young girl. But I think God was growing in me this idea that I was set apart and different and as much as I still struggled in my youth with, okay, but I want to be someone that's not hated and that doesn't get into trouble or, you know, I want to have friends. There was also this burning, growing in my spirit as a young girl to, to love beyond what the world said.
0: Yeah. No, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Actually, that sounds so good, Sarah, because here is This combination is I'm going to love the outcast, but loving the outcast means that I become one of them and still being willing to love in spite of being. I mean, that is I am so sorry you went through that trauma and abuse of being spit on and treated unfairly by others and your willingness to put yourself out there as a child because you saw the unfairness of how others were being treated.
1: It was like a holy, beautiful thing that still had like human struggle to it, you know? Yeah. And there all through like junior high, I still, I was a timid person because I, I felt the humanness in my heart felt that distinction that I didn't measure up to those popular people. And whether or not I even wanted to anymore, there was still like this timidity that was growing in my spirit, like that I wrestled with my identity in and despite my
0: my strong Christian faith. You know, we're all still human. Absolutely. And oh, I, I've talked with a lot of different people and in, in the interviews and things that we've done here on the Fully Restored podcast, but saying this in the way that you're saying that I really appreciate your transparency and openness because that hasn't been really spoken about, about wrestling with Wanting to honor God, you know, as you said, that that was really kind of a holy moment of the things that you were doing as a child, but also having that struggle with popular people, you know, with that people pleasing our identity and who we are. And that's the truth of the battle for everybody. You know, we all battle with our identity and wearing masks or people-pleasing or however you want to say it. Somebody else may say, well, I, I, I view it this way, but it, it comes down to our identity of ourself and our value and where do we find our value. And as a child and a teen, just in life in general, that is a struggle. Mm-hmm. And then add on to that the bullying and the other issues.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So how did striving influence your younger years? So I grew up in a church environment that was very black and
1: white. This is right. This is wrong. This is what God's word says. This is what you do. And this is what you don't do. And then also in my home, there was a lot of just achievement oriented. Like that's where our praise came is doing a good job. And so I grew up just wanting to Give God my best, and my parents my best, even in school, I remember one memory of a teacher getting after me and making me stand in front of a classroom because I'd done something wrong and apologize to everyone and it was like in that moment, okay, I'm going to give my teachers everything of me too, and never like never cause an issue. just it was just this this idea of perfectionism growing in me. I wanted to be perfect for God, for my family, for everyone around me. am I always? Making sure that I'm doing 100% in relationships, in
0: school, in my life, that was just a common theme. And when you talk about the teacher making you stand up in front of the class and apologize, I'm thinking about, wow, that instills shame into you, which goes with the whole identity, which goes with the negative thoughts of ourselves. And there's some really great teachers out there. And there's some teachers that are not as great. You know that's really a shaming thing to do, where you have to apologize to the entire class. Is that something that that you struggled with after that for years? Uh, definitely, any type of
1: chastisement or any, yeah. any anyone telling me that I did something wrong, it was like
0: a it was like a deep wound because I I worked so hard to do everything right. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think of also, you know, depending on your personality type, you know, for somebody who is a rule follower, when something like that happens, well, then you establish, you follow the rule, but then you establish like 20 more rules just to stay within that, you know, and thinking about that black and white setting and in the church and at home and how that really affects our core belief about ourself and the world around us. And so that's a str- that was a struggle for you growing up, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. So what was the catalyst to your crash? So by high school, I was noticing
1: a lot of depression. I was still outwardly living my faith. I was encouraging teachers. I was speaking about God to my classmates. I was working really hard, but inwardly, I was really crumbling. I had reached out to a teacher and asked her for help just as a mentor, someone to have my back because I just felt this huge weight and she would, she, she did her best to encourage me. And it was, I think it was a gift to get me through high school, but I still felt this inward drive to go right into university, go on to the next goal that I had for my life that I needed to accomplish. And it was in university that I really fell apart because it was like a whole other world that I just wasn't prepared for. And I was already struggling with these feelings of inferiority. And I looked at all these giant adults that seemed to have, they they seemed to have everything together, their world figured out and they were confident. And I I just felt like a tiny little grasshopper compared to them. And then also university was so much harder than high school. Like you work 10 times harder and you can't even get the same grades that you did in high school. So at that point, I reached out to a campus counselor there and she told me that I needed to drop out, take care of myself. And so then that was kind of, once I let go of my aspirations and felt that I had failed and I had to like, let go of that dream. And then it was okay. Well, I've also failed God. I failed my family. I failed everyone. And the spiral just started from there.
0: And so did you go back home or what ended up at that point?
1: So I wasn't living at home at that point. My dad was going through his own hard time in his life and dealing with alcohol and things like that. So he and I weren't getting along. At that point, I was living my first few semesters of university. I was living with a youth pastor, kind of as a live-in nanny, so I didn't have to pay rent. And it was wonderful. But when I started experimenting with self-harm at that point, there was a young girl in university that I happened to see was cutting in the middle of a, or I saw, I think I saw her scars in the middle of a class one time. And then I went out and asked her to be my friend, basically, just because I wanted to know what she was doing and why. So I started playing around with that too. And I was kind of intrigued by the concept of hurting myself. But at that point, when my youth pastor and his family found out about that, they didn't want that in their home around their kids. And I totally 100% understand. So I left there and ended up in a group home for at-risk young people, and that was like a whole new world opened up to me of mental health issues and people that were struggling. And it kind of just also offered me room to fall apart even more. So how long were you in this group home? Um, I was there for, that's a good question, probably a couple of years. I feel like there's a lot of timelines that don't make sense anymore. 10 years of heavy duty psychiatric medications and mm-hmm. even um, electroconvulsive therapy Kind of mess with my memory. So I probably couldn't give you a timeline, but let's just say from that point on, I spent 10 years in and out of psych wards, mental health facilities, and just, yeah, things
0: got really bad for a really long time. (laughs) And so living in that group home, and so, and your dad had his own struggles. And so was there a a big disconnect from your family through that time? Yeah. Yeah. There, There really was. Yeah. And, You know, I just want to pause here for a moment. I'm just thinking of listeners. Again, this is a difficult topic to discuss about depression, about anxiety, about self-harm, self-loathing. And I just want to encourage you right now as we're listening to this that, friend, there is hope. And Sarah, I I want you to share with us. Like you shared with us about the difficulty and you're just kind of touching on it. You're, you know, you're not really diving deep into it, but you're sharing with us the difficulty that you've experienced with mental health issues. Could you tell us about your fully restored story? How did God show up again in your story?
1: So this is a pretty amazing thing. I, I think a lot of us feel like God can often be more abstract he's there, but he's not really there, you know? But when we see him showing up in our story, it's a game changer. And so for me, let's say 10 years into awful expressions of self-harm and being over-medicated, I was in my 20s, but I was like a droopy, drooling, kind of incoherent mess of a human being. I happened to be visiting my roommate at the time, and she is a young girl who struggled with Treatment resistant schizophrenia. So, at this point in our story, she happened to be an inpatient in the psych ward, and I was going to visit her that day. And we heard a knock on her hospital door room, and four people were there who are now my friends. They had felt God calling them to go and pray for people in the psych ward. So, they were being faithful to that. And they asked my friend if they could pray for her. Meanwhile, I was just in the room staring at them angrily because I knew their God. And I didn't want anything to do with him at that point. But when they prayed for my friend and laid their hands on her, all of her voices left. And that is something that no medication was able to do for her ever. And so she was immediately like, Yes, I want more of this. And the love that radiated from these people, she was just drawn to. So they came back a few times and sometimes I was there, sometimes I wasn't there visiting. But when she was discharged, they asked her, If she wanted to come to a Bible study at at one of their homes. And she said yes. And I said, I do not want to go, but she needed help getting there on the bus. So I took her. And it was that night that we went. My friends had this little prayer chair thing. So at the end of the night, everyone was able to sit in the prayer chair and get prayed over. And I resisted the whole night, but I made it there eventually, mostly out of peer pressure. And I sat down in that chair. And when they laid their hands on me, I internally heard Jesus talking to me and the tears fell and it was this moment of him saying basically Sarah I'm I know you I still love you and all the things that you've gone through as awful as they were I'm I'm here waiting to restore your story redeem your life give you back your dreams that you didn't think were possible and I was like a mess and it wasn't anything audible. Like I couldn't quote you. This is just like the thing that I remember, the general thing that I remember in that moment, but the tears were falling and it was just like a another one of those kind of holy moments, I guess. It was the beginning as well. From that moment forward, I had to still learn how to walk out this new thing that God was doing in my heart. I still had years of self-harm that I had to let go of and things like that but it was, it was the beginning.
0: And I just want to pause for a second because first of all, this ministry going into psychiatric hospitals. Wow. Wow. That is, that is really powerful. And I need to preface that you actually don't live in the United States. You live in Canada, right? Right. And I would also say that that's probably not
1: something that they allow anymore either. Like, I really feel like it was a divine appointment because nowadays there's so many rules that they probably wouldn't have been allowed in there either here.
0: Yeah. Because how many years ago was that? Probably six or seven. Six or seven years ago. Yeah. But what a ministry. Okay. Yes, we, we understand restrictions and laws and rules and things about that, about whether they can go into a hospital and do a ministry like that. But I am praying right now that that actually opens the eyes and the ears of some people listening, that God would plant a seed in their heart to do ministry outreaches to those who have mental health needs. Mm -hmm. There's a training that I used to be a facilitator for. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but it's called Mental Health First Aid. And I used to be a facilitator for it, but I let my license lapse on that. And one of the things that they do in this training is you have people that are holding papers and, and on the paper are different things that could, could be physical or mental health illnesses. And it could be depression to cancer, um, just a variety of things. And what, Me as a facilitator, what I do is I tell the group, okay, line these up into what you perceive to be the level of severity, to the least severe, to the most severe. What is interesting is how often the mental health needs were not put at a high severity. Mm -hmm. And um, somebody with stage one cancer was put higher than somebody with major depression or suicidal thoughts or um schizophrenia because that society wise we think about that but we we don't want to talk about and have those conversations about mental health needs and so here we minister and reach out to those with cancer which rightly so we should we support one another, we provide meals for them. But somebody who is struggling with depression or somebody that's um, struggling with anxiety or a more severe mental health illness such as schizophrenia or schizoaffective, um, some types of bipolar can be more severe than other types of bipolar, depending on the the traits that you have with that diagnosis. Often we don't reach out to them. We don't bring them a meal. We don't knock on the door and check on them. And in the church, we tell them, you just need to have more faith. You just need to believe more. You just need to pray more. You just need to stand on God's word more, which those are all really good things to do. However, that's not the only answer, right? Yeah, there's definitely uh,
1: things going on chemical-wise in the brain, things like that but I 100% agree that there's still this fear factor of really engaging with
0: people yeah. that aren't clear in their head stigma there's a stigma yeah and so I am just in awe of this group that went in and not just went in but they it sounds like they were very purposeful to have relationship with you all to bring you to a bible study and to be a support because that relationship and support is so important. Because, you know, as you're sharing your story, you know, you're talking about going into a group home and and some of the support systems weren't there for you. And here is a group that opens their arms to you with love and welcomes you in. What a beautiful story of redemption.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And those people in particular
1: were the ones that literally
0: like held my hand
1: and walked me through the years of letting go of self harm because that was not an immediate thing that that took a lot of it took a long time i think and patience and it makes me think of you know biblical qualities like patient endurance cuz it's a struggle even when you know the lord to let go of those those parts of yourself that are still so wrapped up in in things that aren't of god you know like i remember because of the habit of self harm i would get these like overwhelming sensations in my body that i was feeling i was feeling unwell just anxious or whatever and i wanted to hurt myself again and then there was the sensations that followed and it was still a process to say in that moment okay self harm is no longer an option and what am i going to do instead and those people from that bible study were core people that like took me out of that season and Helped me into like the place of being whole again and denying the self harm and walking in fullness and
0: health and strength. And were these just lay people or were some of them counselors or was there a reason that they felt drawn to this? They were just lay people. They were Um, lay people. The one person in particular, he had gone
1: through his own mental health issues and he just felt like God was calling him to help others too because, uh, like, isn't that what? The Bible says the God of all comfort comforts us so that we can comfort others in the midst of our own afflictions,
0: right? So yeah, what a beautiful story. What a beautiful, I am just, I'm tearing up here. People, you know, friends, you can't see me right now, but I'm tearing up because as a counselor, I know how important it is to have a support system, to have people that are there walking with you through the difficult stuff through the dark seasons and, and to give you hope and, and not to feel so isolated. And, and then yes, like you're talking about to change those patterns because we create, um, I, I ex- always explain it like a bike pathway, a dirt bike pathway. And if you take a, um, that pathway, you know, day after day over time, you're going to create grooves in that bike pathway. Um, cause it's a dirt one. And that's how our brain is. And so we automatically react how we've always reacted because of those grooves and that it takes work to put your bike on the other parts of the pathway to create new grooves. And that over time, eventually we create new grooves and we don't go back to the old way of doing things, but it takes work to be very purposeful. Uh, Because I'm such a visual person, I feel like this helps people to visually see, oh, yes, I have to work to put my bike on the other part of the pathway and not just go automatically into the grooves. And that's what it was for you was about creating new pathways in your brain so that when stuff was triggered, you didn't just go to the old. Mm-hmm. And my friend, he said it specifically: you have to close that door, Sarah.
1: And I, I will always remember that because it was like it, until those doors are no longer an option to go through. I guess a different visual, you will go through them when yeah. you close the door. Then you make space to go a different direction. And yeah. so for
0: me, that that was key in my life in my story. Yeah. Yeah. Another way I talk about it is that depression never comes with just depression. Depression has friends and family. So there's all these other things that come in. And so when the or self-harm doesn't just come with self-harm, self-harm, you know, you think of whatever you're struggling with. And so they knock on our door and we don't have to invite them in. We don't even have to open the door for them but which is what you're talking about, you know, shutting the door, but we open the door and then they come in, but they don't come in by themselves. They come in, sadness comes in with low self-esteem, which comes in with self-harm, which comes in with anxiety and all these other things. And then it's overwhelming and it bombards us. And to be able to shut that door and not meditate on those thoughts. And also, you know, because the truth is for some people, We need medication. And for some people, we don't. And then some medication, it sounds like they had you on some pretty intense medication that really numbed your life. So just knowing that whole balance about that, but recognizing, you know, let's get some help. And what are the right tools that are going to work for you? For you, the right tool was in this group and having this friend say to you, shut the door, Sarah shut the door. You don't have to do this anymore. You don't have to do the self-harm anymore. And that was really a transitional point for you. Mm -hmm. And even him saying that
1: it wasn't, it wasn't his words that did it. It wasn't until I actually made it real in my own life because I still struggled, but I do remember the clear moment when I did shut the door and it wasn't even planned. I was still heading in the direction to go harm myself turning on the stove and preparing myself for what I was going to do. And then it was like this pause, this unintentional pause, which I believe, I really believe that this is where faith comes in as well, because yes, there's these tools in place, but like, we also have to be willing to to allow God to work in our story too. And so I stood in front of the stove, the element was turning on and I paused and wasn't even thinking and then I shut the stove off and walked away. and then that was it. No more. No more. I went. No more. Did I ever go and like try and hurt myself, even when thoughts came to do it. So the door was shut. The door was shut, and it never became an option again, even
0: when I felt like a mess and out of control. Still. Mm-hmm. Wow. So with your life experience and where God has brought you today, what are a couple of things that you can share with a listener today? as they begin their journey of healing?
1: So I guess a big one for me um, is understanding what grace is, because I feel like striving works in opposition to grace. When we finally know what grace is, that it's a free gift that we didn't earn, there's a place of rest in there. Not that we cling to our old self, like Romans is very clear about that. Sin no longer has dominion over us, But grace, grace is where we can be free, free from that striving. And so I started studying more of what grace is because that's something I never knew growing up. I knew it as just a word in church, but for some reason it wasn't real to me. And so really knowing what grace is has helped me with this battle with perfectionism. And what I've learned is that the perfectness talked about in the Bible is really a journey. It's a growth. It's a step by step as we await our final destination in Christ. In eternity. And so Philippians 3.12 has been a key verse for me. And it says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. So that has been a transformational verse for me. What does it mean? Like I'm not perfect as much as I still think I want to be, but I press on. That's powerful. I think um there's been some other key verses in my story too, just coming out of All of that 10 years with depression and self-harm and all of that, Isaiah 43, 18 to 19, those verses were really important to me. And that's where God speaks through Isaiah and says, Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And so it's been a a journey for me to not look back, to let go of shame of that time of my life, not cling to that identity over myself either. I'm no longer someone with depression or someone that struggles with self-harm. I am walking in this newness that God has called me into, out of the old, into the new. And he's making ways in the wilderness. He is making rivers and in the desert in my life. And so it's just a step-by-step.
0: You know, what I like about what, You just said there, I was thinking about labels and, you know, no longer are you defined by depression or defined by somebody who does self-harm. You're defined by God. And that is where your identity and your value comes. And we grab onto these labels. And, you know, I think of, you know, I can have somebody come into my office and, and say, you know, well... I have depression. I have anxiety. I have, and they just start giving me a list of all of these things, borderline personality and all this other stuff. And that's just who I am. And the truth is those are, those are things. Yes. Those are real depression, anxiety, borderline personality disorder. All those things are real. However, that's not who you are. Absolutely. And, and when
1: you allow those, when you allow those labels, to define you almost, even unintentionally. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like you're being chained to something that, Yes, that Jesus has called us to freedom from. He is the one that breaks chains. He's the one that sets yeah. the captive free. And yet these labels,
0: they really do chain us and even choke us, you know, yeah. it's... And I was seeing this image of, because again, I'm this visual person, Sarah. And as you were talking about the chair, when you went to the Bible study and they had the chair and they would pray over people, the prayer chair, what I was thinking of was the group of friends that brought their friend to Jesus. And they were so desperate that they lowered him down from the roof and brought him down. They met their friend where he was at and they carried him and brought him to Jesus. And that's what they were doing with you. That's a really beautiful image. Yeah, they brought you to Jesus. Yeah,
1: because I was not going to go there myself, you know. And yeah. I think a lot of us feel that way. You know? We we yeah. we either think that we can't, or we say it's not going to help, or it's not worth it, or we're just too stuck, or we're too tired, or we're too weak
0: to have that. That's a beautiful image. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what they did with you. That's what they did with dear friend. That was what they did with everybody that they reached out to in that ministry is they became the friends. And I just want to encourage listener, you know, to get involved in a place where you can have that support and that friends because some people don't have that right, Sarah. Oh, I know. And especially with the increase of isolation these days and things like that, it's yeah,
1: it's really heartbreaking. I feel like that's something that's been on my heart of late too is the call to the church. To go and be the hands and feet of Jesus, Even, even in the midst of this new world and season of isolation and trying to keep distances and stuff. What does it mean to really go and be the hands and feet of Jesus, to step out of our comfort zone and to love those that are truly broken and hurting and lost right now?
0: Because in part, our comfort zone is dictated by our fear. Absolutely. And so because of fear... I won't step out and minister. And there are people struggling, absolutely struggling. It has been over a year and a half and they're they're struggling. Yeah.
1: We need each other. We need the Lord first and foremost. And then we need each other. We are the body of Christ. Christ is the head, but we are the body. And what does it mean to really be the body of Christ in this hurting world? Hmm.
0: I, I pray, Sarah, that this podcast really challenges some people to say, how can I reach out and help those that are struggling with mental health needs? How can I help them and reach out to them? Because in, in our church, there are individuals in every church across the United States, across Canada, across this world, there are people that are struggling with depression. There are people struggling with anxiety. There are people that are like your friend that have struggled, was it schizophrenia that you had said? Yeah. Yeah, it was schizophrenia. And are we going to treat them? I'm just so heartbroken right now. Are we going to treat them with love and dignity and grace and mercy, or are we going to treat them like the leopard of old, Mm -hmm. where we walk away from them, where we avoid them? And they need Jesus. Absolutely. And something that I, I keep thinking about is it may feel like there's
1: strain and there's physical exertion and there, like that we ourselves are going to be worn out and worn down. But that is one of the paradoxes of faith and the beauties of God's plan and his design is that it's not us operating in our flesh that has any power that is strengthen, like that can do anything. It's when we are walking in the spirit and the Holy Spirit, that's the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Can we believe that that Holy Spirit inside of us will strengthen us to live out the call of the calls of faith that God has like put on our hearts that he has given to us as the body of Christ. If we're walking in the spirit, that's Holy Spirit's job to strengthen us and give us all we need to do it. Like, it's not on our own strength. We don't need to worry about being run down, getting burnt out. Like, there's something glorious and divine
0: about that that just releases us from even that fear, you know? And you bring up a good point about, because as you're talking, I'm thinking, God has not called us to be the Holy Spirit, and God has not called us to be other people's savior. God has just called us to be the hands and feet of Jesus to others and to be the mouth, to speak life and love to them. That is what God has called us to do. So when we step into that, we need to know that it's not my job to save somebody. Even as a counselor, it's not my job to save somebody. My job is to help them get unstuck. That's what my job is. My job is to give them tools. and if it's Christian counseling, my job is to do that in a Christ-centered way. And but it is not our jobs, and it wasn't the job of your friends that helped you. It wasn't that they were going to be your Savior and they were going to be your Holy Spirit. No, they took you to Jesus.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's that holding the hand. It's that
1: yeah. It's that push to allow the savior, the Holy spirit to yes. speak the truth and the life and the hope into a person's heart that truly transforms.
0: Yes. Wow. Now, is there any other tips? Cause I know I interrupted you <laughs> that any other tips that you wanted to share with the listeners for their journey of healing? I, I think I, maybe we should just talk a little
1: bit about emotions.
0: Okay. Um,
1: Cause I feel like emotions are, Oh, they're heavy and they've, tend to just take over, you know, but something that I've been learning is that our emotions are not truth and they are not static. They ebb and flow. Emotions come and go. They change and they're meant for a purpose. God gave us emotions, but not to define us, not to control us. He gave us emotions to free us, really, to show us our need for him in every given moment. And ultimately. It's been good for me to realize that I still cry a whole a whole lot I'm a crier I get caught up in emotion quite a bit but what am I going to stand on the truth of God's word or the emotions I'm feeling in a mo- in a moment because I can really quickly get caught up in these feelings of weepiness and it leads to you know self-pity it leads to going inward when God's called me into so much more and so that's something that I I would challenge anyone with struggling with emotions and even anxiety it's okay we can recognize the emotion but then also what is the truth and can we like step beyond the emotion and cling to the truth because that is truly what it means to live out the faith ultimately right it's yeah. yes in that moment we feel something but faith is confident assurance of what we don't see and yeah <laughs> evidence that- of things unseen that's Hebrews 11, 1.
0: And you're talking about the truth. And I always tell people that I work with tell yourself the truth. And our thoughts and our emotions are not always the truth. So we need to go back and say, no, the truth is, my emotions are telling me to panic right now, but that's not the truth. Or my emotions are telling me to be angry right now, but that's not the truth. Or my thoughts are saying, you're unloved or unwanted, but that's not the truth, to go back and then where do we find the truth? Well, the truth is found in God's word and to connect it to that. So I'm appreciative that you have added that aspect about our emotions.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely, and that's something that we can apply day by day too, right? Because life is full of emotion and that's just another way that we press on. We recognize it we choose in that moment? Are we going to hold on to truth or the emotion? And friends, God is faithful. If we hold to truth, like we are going to have testimonies of yes, in that moment, God showed up for me because I chose to stand on his word and not my emotion. And that strengthens us to keep going because we have those moments to look back and say, wow, God, you were, you were there for me then. So therefore you'll be there for me now. And I can keep going.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm thinking about there have been times in my life where my emotions controlled me. I didn't manage my emotions. And learning to say, I can just so many times I would just go, Holy Spirit, I know right now, God, that my emotions are just telling me this, this, and this. I just need your help right now, Holy Spirit. God's word says that, Holy Spirit, you are here to help us. And to counsel us and to be with us through difficulty and to give us peace and I'm needing your peace right now and help me to focus on you, God, and not focus on my circumstances. That's just an example of what you and I are talking about, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I am so appreciative of all the information that you have talked about. So, Sarah, where are you at on your journey of being fully restored today? I would say I have been
1: satisfied by grace
0: Mm, and yeah and so I am
1: I there yet (laughs) I don't think any of us truly are but I'm satisfied by grace I'm confident in who God is what his word says is
0: truth and that's where the victory is so that's where I'm at Mm, that's beautiful so how can people connect with you, Sarah, and purchase your book? Is your book out now? Yeah, my book is out. My book is called A Good Enough Story.
1: And so it's you can find a link on my website. My website is Um, That's also where my blog is hosted at. My blog is called Within This Jar of Clay, and it's based on 2 Corinthians 4, 6 to 7. So you can find me At my website, you can subscribe to my blog. I have a free gift for subscribers. It's a 14-day devotional that I wrote called Free Indeed. And it's just examining Jesus's words from John 8, what it means to abide in his word, be his disciple. The truth sets us free. And then if we are free, um, we are free indeed. So that's my gift to you. And then you'll receive weekly um, faith-filled encouragement and inspiration to your inbox. And then I'm also on Facebook at Sarah Kennerly slash writer is my
0: more professional page. Okay. So Sarah, in these last few moments that we have, do you pray for our listeners today? I'd love to.
1: Heavenly Father, your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Thank you for drawing us in with loving kindness. Thank you for giving us your word, which promises all we need for life and godliness. Jesus, you are the bread of life pray that you'd meet your children here today. Satisfy them by grace, your grace, God. Nourish their hearts and minds with your truth. Guard them from the enemy. Thank you for for the way you taught your disciples to pray, that we can pray the same things over ourselves, over our needs and circumstances, that your kingdom come, your will be done, that you would keep us from the enemy. And we have that promise that you will. And so I pray for that protection over these listeners, over their hearts and their minds, that they would be guarded by your peace that passes all understanding, that you would strengthen them according to your word, Jesus, that you would continue the work you started in the Lord. May their stories be living testimonies of you, God, our strong tapper, our hope, our healer, our deliverer. In Jesus' mighty, precious name we pray, amen. Amen. Well,
0: thank you, Sarah, for joining us today. Our show notes and all the links shared with us today can be found at my website, fullyrestored.love. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can stay up to date on all of our shows. I would greatly appreciate it if you would leave a rating as well on whatever platform you're listening to us on. And you could do that right now here at the end of the show. I would love to be connected with you. So be sure to find me on Instagram or on my Facebook page. Both of those are at author Kristen Klaus. I pray that this episode of the Fully Restored Podcast ministered to you, encouraged you, inspired you, whether you are the one that is needing a friend to lower you down to Jesus, or if you are the one that is called to be the friend to bring others to Jesus. May you be inspired by Sarah's story of transformation that Jesus has done in her life. And remember friends, nothing or no one is beyond restoration with our Jesus.